Well, as you give to the Lord, Rochelle's going to do a little offertory dance. You ready for that? Put on track two. Just kidding. My wife does have rhythm, though. She definitely does not have uh, what some call rhythmic disorder. That'd be Caucasian rhythmic disorder, or primarily that seems to be the issue with us white people. Well, with you white people. With you. You know how us black folk do it. What? Oh, I mean, white chocolate, praise the Lord. I do not have CRD. I'll just tell you that right now. Right, Glenda? Tell me I have CRD. Watch what happens. No. (laughs) Oh, man. God is good. What an awesome time of worship. Come on. Hallelujah. What an awesome time we get to just join our hearts and extol Jesus, experience His love and His presence together, the manifest presence of God. When God just comes, the Bible says that when we agree, He's there. When we agree, when our hearts are in agreement, the word agreement is symphony. That's where we get the word symphony. When our hearts become joined to where it sounds like a symphony. Now, that's different than a solo. You know that? And, And the solo artist noises that go on in church gatherings are just a clanging symbol because they come from a place of not having significance in the heart of God. But when we understand that we're loved, we don't have to exhibit. We don't have to become a clanging symbol because we're rooted in significance. In other words, our gifts, talents, abilities, uh, we don't have to identify in them and make ourselves feel more significant by showing how gifted we are. I believe our worship team is a living example of that. None of them are up there exhibiting a talent or a gift, they are rooted that they're sons and the gift just flows through them. It doesn't come from a place of insecurity. And, and so when we join our hearts together, it's a symphony. We all carry a sound and not one is necessarily louder than the other. And we're not trying to be heard or trying to be seen. That's exhibitionism. This is what, what uh, the Apostle Paul was rebuking in the church of Corinth from chapter 11 all the way to chapter 14. And he he exemplifies it with saying, this is the gift. The gift is love. It all stems from love. When our lives stem from love, we don't don't need to exhibit. We don't need to perform. We, We bear fruit. Fruit just comes. Fruit comes. Gifts are given. Gifts flow. But they don't come from a place of insignificance. How many can say amen to that? This is part of my message and who I am. And I, I believe that... Uh, uh, it's so important that the church begins to grab a hold of the grace movement and the, the movement that this empowering grace, this supernatural love. I, I think sometimes we get very uh, restricted in our understanding of, of Scripture and who God is because we make definitions of love and grace and things like that. And then we read the Bible and they're confined in the box of the definition that we already have. When God's trying to unfold a, more of a depth of His love, well, Jesus loves me, this I know. There's many great theologians that have been asked questions. What's the most profound thing you learned in all your years of study? There's one uh, great theologian. He said, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. That was the culmination of years of studying the Word of God. That there is a depth to His love, unfolding grace and power. His thoughts toward you are so numerous. They're more than the numbers of the sand of the sea. You couldn't count them. 
And God's thinking about you right now. His heart is for you to be a son and a daughter, to rise up, not be paralyzed by fear, intimidation, and bondage, by uh, bad theology, but He wants you to be free. He wants you to walk in destiny. And I believe in, in you as a people. I believe in you as sons and daughters. I believe in our worship team. I believe in our leadership. I see things. Sometimes the Lord will just give me little glimpses uh, watching my wife pray or watching Chris lead worship. And I'm just like, they are, I think I'm in the midst of uh, the most anointed people in the earth. That's how I feel. That's what I think about you. And I think it's just a drop. It's just an impression. It's just a little expression of what Jesus thinks about you. Jesus doesn't think you're small. Jesus thinks you're great. Jesus doesn't look at you as an orphan. He looks at you as a child, a son and a daughter. Jesus doesn't look at you you as a pauper or a poor person. You are a royal prince and prince in the kingdom of God. And when we understand our lives are rooted in the significance of His heart to us, we rise up, we, we transform, we change, we do things that we say what I can't isn't a part of our vocabulary anymore. We stop making excuses as the victim that we're powerless and it's everyone else's fault. But we actually rise up, take ownership and say, I'm made in the image of God and I'm a part of a covenant that I have with God because I'm in Christ and coming with that comes the supernatural ability to do what God has called me to do in the earth. This is the revelation that will cause the church to rise up and become glorious, become mature. Love always brings maturity. Love always brings unity. Love always brings harmony. And harmony releases a sound that the earth hears and they say, that's what I want to be a part of. When the family of God understands that we are so significant to Papa God, and we are actually, uh, God actually relies on us, to a large degree, let me put it that way, to fulfill what He created us to do. Otherwise, He would go against His own delegated authority. We were created to have dominion, to be fruitful, and to multiply. This is who you are. I believe in you as a people. Sons and daughters, I believe in you. You can walk in destiny. You are created in God's image. You are created to be free. You are created for such a great destiny. Don't belittle your destiny by saying things like, I can't, or by framing your thoughts around fear or bondage. I believe the church has been paralyzed by certain things, one of them being that you still have a sin nature, and we say things like, well, I'm only human. Well, you are a human being, but you also partake of the divine nature. And no longer do you have a sin nature. The Bible doesn't say that anymore. You might have the possibility of sinning as a a person that is born again, but your nature changed when you were born again. You might have some desires in you that are not good, but you also have a lot of desires that are good. And you, at the core of your being, your heart, your cardia, not just the organ, but the core, was implanted in you, according to 1 Peter 1.23, the seed of the Word of God. You were born again. The Bible says that we've been renewed and regened with the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that, that God has put His Spirit in our hearts and we cry out, Abba, Father. We have a new nature. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. New things have come. And it grows into the image of Jesus at the core of your being Who you are is supposed to be coming more real and more alive, not dead. When Paul said, I die daily, he was not talking about crucifying his flesh. 
1 Corinthians 15. I remember reading it as a young man. I've been programmed with that I still have a sin nature and I've got to die and, and I've got to crucify and I've got to die daily and I've got to pick up my cross and I, don't, I misunderstand the words of Jesus that he spoke before his crucifixion in the context of his crucifixion because unless you identify with the crucifixion, you can't live. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. But then I read, uh, it's a past tense. I read 1 Corinthians 15. I die daily. Oh, God, I've got to die today. Wake up. I die daily. I die. And God's like, I'm not trying to kill you. I'm trying to get you to be alive. Bible says you're a living sacrifice, not a dead one. Amen. That's a good word to meditate on because a lot of our framework is based upon a centered around death. And God's like, I want you to live. I love John Eldridge. Time he says, don't ask what the world needs. He says, Ask what makes you fully alive because the world needs you fully alive. God wants you fully alive, not dead. You don't have a sin nature. You might have the ability to sin. Adam didn't have a sin nature and he sinned in the garden. But your nature as a believer is no longer to sin. At the core of your being, no longer your desires change. Ezekiel 36, he says, I'll put a new heart within you. This is the covenant that we are a part of in Christ. Amen. I'll put a new heart within you, a new spirit within you. Before I begin to just share what's on my heart, I want to lay a little foundation that you are wholly redeemed. Not just part of you is saved. Not just your spirit. And then he leaves the soul and the body for progressive sanctification. That's not biblical. You are saved wholly, and God is sanctifying your spirit, soul, and body. But at the core of your being, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the outward man's perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. If we start believing what the Bible actually says about us as believers, we'll start doing what the Bible says we're created to do. Because normal Christianity is revival, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, healing the sick, casting out demons. Come on. Spiritual warfare, not from a a weak place of pauperism, trying to cast down arguments from a low place, but seated in heaven, knowing that they're under the feet of Jesus, therefore they're under our feet because we are the body. And the lowest part of the body is the feet. If they're under the feet and we're the body, then they're under us. But we don't go casting out demons out of everything. We do what? We're submitted to the authority of heaven. Our warfare worldview, it changes everything. It changes the way that we live our lives. No longer do we say, I can't. No longer do we say, uh, I'm only human and I'm just going to struggle with this the rest of my life. I'm a sinner and someday, sweet by and by, the Lord will redeem me and I'll be raptured up into heaven. And then I'll stop sinning. You might not be sinless, but you should sin less. Because if you're born of God, the Bible says you don't sin. It doesn't mean you won't ever sin. It means that your nature is not to sin anymore because now your nature is to overcome. That's why it says I'm more than an overcomer, Romans 8, 37, through him who loved us. Through the love of God, understanding that I'm a son, through the love of God, it changes me from the inside out. What does grace do? Jesus is in me. Christ is is in me, which is the hope of glory. And grace is literally transforming the rhythm of our hearts. Because now we have a heart of flesh, Ezekiel 36, 26. Now we have a heart that God can mold. And now the, the covenant that we're a part of is not trying to adapt or try to dance metaphorically to an exterior rhythm of law and do's and don'ts, but it's an interior rhythm of nature 
And it's a rhythm of God's grace that transforms the rhythm of my heartbeat. So at my core, things just begin to change, and it's a part of me. We don't need to ask, like, oh, i got to find the will of God somewhere out there. If you want to know what the will of God is, what's your passion? This is hard for some of you. Hear me. Your heart, God wrote His law on your heart. You know, you got to find out what the will of the Lord is. It's always going to extol Jesus as Lord. It's always going to line up with Scripture, right? We know that. But your desires, a lot of them are God's desires. If you want to know what God's will is, ask a Christian. What's your will? There's so many dreams in you that bad theology is killing. I die daily. I got to die to self. You might have to die to selfishness, but dying to self is dying to who you are, which is never what God wants you to do. God has created you to live. It's the newness of life that he wants us to walk in. Uh, Paul emphasizes this in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, but in chapter 6 he says you've got to consider that old self dead. Colossians 3 says you've put off the old self, therefore walk in the new self. You might need to put to death some deeds that are in you, but that doesn't mean that you're dying to who you are. There's a difference, and it's important because if we live that way and we're conscious of the wrong way, we will constantly beat ourselves up and never walk in transformation because we're living sacrifices, not dead ones. And if we're living sacrifices, we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And a living sacrifice is not a zombie either. Your will be done, Lord, your kingdom come. Not my will but thine, more of you, less of me. More of you, less of me. It was in John 3.30. This was, this was actually uh, John the Baptist, who was the last prophet of the Old Testament. That's an Old Testament prayer. Don't pray it anymore. More of you, less of me. Oh, that sounds so holy, doesn't it? Bill Johnson says he wants all of you covered in all of him. More of you, less of me. It sounds so spiritual. It's, it's religious and it is a uh, false humility is what it is. Moses was very humble. He wrote about himself. He said, I'm the most humble man on the face of the earth. Well, what do you do for God? Oh, I'm just, I'm just a doorkeeper. I'm just a, I just serve. I'm just a servant. Now you're a son. God wants to radically unfold His love to His bride that will cause such a transforming, empowering lifestyle of what we call supernatural will be natural. What we call early church will become even exponentially greater in us as a people. It's been prophesied for decades about a move of God that the world has yet to see that will be greater than any other move. I believe that we're living in one of the greatest hours the church has ever seen. We're a part of it. We are a part of it. You are a part of it. The world is not getting darker and darker. That's a whole nother lie. Stop watching the news so much. If your worldview is based upon real understanding of of what is happening in the earth, right now the born-again rate is four times the birth rate. Right now there are over 200,000 people every day getting saved in all the nations combined. Right now, Christianity is the largest entity in the earth. And Islam is not the fastest growing religion. That's a lie. 
Actually, there are more Islams getting saved now than any time in the history of Islam. If your eschatology is not victorious, then you don't understand your sonship. Because the world is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, eagerly groaning, expecting. And us to walk in that, we've got to understand the power that is transforming us from the inside out. And the power of grace in your life is, is just like the resurrection. Grace is not just seen at the cross. Mercy is seen at the cross. The atonement. We're reconciled back to God. We're forgiven of our sin. Now he, he says, I'll make a covenant with you. Then he says, I'm going to give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. It wasn't just about the cross. It was about the burial, the resurrection, ascension, and sitting down of the enthronement of the glorified Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who sits far above all principality and power. He completely abolished and disarmed every demon, spiritual host. Come on. He completely took authority over death, sickness, disease, and sin, and that is the power of grace. Grace is not unmerited favor. Grace is unmerited favor with supernatural, exponential, radical, transforming empowerment to live free and live as fully as God wants us to live in the earth. God's grace transforms us. God's grace is not some extra slack I have in my Christianity that I can fail every once in a while. That's mercy. Mercy is when the police officer pulls you over and lets you go. How many have had that happen? Praise the Lord when he does that, right? Get out of the car. You look drunk. I just left church, officer. I swear. Get out. Oh, one of those. Get out. of. I'm just kidding. God bless our police officers. Mercy is the police officer pulling you over and saying, you know what? I'm going to let you go with the warning. Mercy. Lord, have mercy, right? Lord, have mercy. L-A-W-W-D. Lord, have mercy. Grace is when the cop pulls you over and says, you know what? I'm going to write you a million-dollar check so you stop running around driving fast, trying to get to work, living paycheck to paycheck. You can invest your money, buy a pond, and then you can, I mean, do whatever God wants you to do. Amen? You know what I mean by buying a pond, right? We, we still think in, in, in terms of, uh, of getting by. There's a saying that says if you, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach him how to fish, you'll feed him for a lifetime. Well, neither of those are where God wants you. God wants you to own the pond. Amen. So the Lord wants to redefine what grace is in your life, church. Grace is not the same thing as mercy. Mercy we see at the cross. Grace we see at the resurrection. The cross was the starting, the the igniting of a wick, the dynamite, the explosive dunamis power we see in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where Jesus said, He said, after you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive power from on high. Grace is power from on high. The very, it, it, the very essence and the nature of who Jesus is. That's why Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 says, you receive grace through the revelation of Jesus. In the person of Jesus, that He is, he is so full of love for you. He is so, uh, so, He thinks about you. Like God looks at you and, and you're joint heirs with Christ. And he, he calls you His own. And you're His friend. You're not just a servant. The, through the revelation of who Jesus is, that He's enthroned and that He is Messiah, comes grace from heaven. And grace is not the same thing as mercy. In John chapter 5, there's a story of a guy 
who's paralyzed or lame. It's not really clear, but for 38 years, he's struggling with this. He's sitting at a pool called the Pool of Bethesda, which means house of grace or place of the outpouring. At this pool, there's many other people that are lame and sick and hurting, paralyzed. A lot of sick people. I think it's a picture of the church. We're sick because we still don't understand our potential to rise up. And he's sitting there, and he, he's uh, hoping that someone would put him in the water because, you see, there was an angel that would come and would stir the water. And, and as soon as the first person touched the water, their sickness would go away. And Jesus comes up, and he looks at the guy knowing that he'd been with this condition for 38 years. That's a long time. How many of you know the story of the woman with the spirit of infirmity? It, it said, or with the, the issue of blood. For like 13 years she dealt with this, right? Just constant bleeding. Uh, this guy for 38 years. I'm 37 years old. I, some people say I'm an old man. I am still young and I got so many years ahead of me. Come on, somebody. But that's a long time to have an infirmity. Jesus looks at him. And he says, do you want to be made well? A question deserves a response. He asked blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Blind Bartimaeus could have said, actually, I'd like a lot of money so I I could stop begging. But God didn't want to do that. He actually wanted to heal his blindness so he could rise up in the earth and magnify who God is and get a job and stop begging. Jesus never gave handouts. He gave hand-ups. Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, there's a lame man begging. And he's walking in and Peter says, you know what, I don't got any money for you. And it doesn't imply that he didn't have money. Actually, there was a lot of money at the feet laid at the feet of the apostles. I don't know if you knew that. And Jesus also had a treasurer. He was not a homeless, broke person. Amen. That's a whole nother lie. Uh, it bugs me. Jesus was homeless. Oh, he wasn't. When he said that foxes have dens and that whole, he's talking about the reproduction. It's a place of reproduction. He was looking for someone to reproduce what he was giving. He wasn't saying, give me a place to sleep. If he wanted a place to sleep, he could, do, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today, all right? You rich tax collector. All right. He also ate at the Jew's house, too. So, Jesus asked him a question that deserves a response. He says, do you want to be made well? It's the same question when he asked blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do? And then his response is, Lord, I want to receive my sight. Get to the root of this thing. How many of you ever thought that? Sometimes we want God to fix a symptom instead of just heal us of the disease. And God wants to heal us of the disease. And part of the reason we still believe the disease is because we're still relying on a theological formula instead of the person of who Jesus is that what He says is spirit to me. His words are spirit. John chapter 6, His words are life. So I cling on every word. Like John the Beloved said, what He says is prophecy. What He says is life to me. And I know that when He gives me a word, I can rise up. And this man here... He says, sir, I have no man to put me in the water, but when the water stirred, he starts making excuses. We love doing that because we're the victim, right? God's saying, I'm going to break that thing off of you because you are the victor. If I'm the victor and I'm in you, then greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. If you're born again, you're born of God, which means your nature now is just like God's, which means you're going to overcome the world. 
I love those three claps. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus says this, rise up and take your bed and walk. This is what grace does. Grace does not give you allowance for faults. It actually completely removes the obstacles that are creating the faults. Rise up, take your bed and walk. No longer was the thing that determined where he went in life going to have dominion over him. But Jesus says, take that thing and you carry it where you want it to go. Romans chapter 8, sin should not have dominion over you anymore. Romans chapter 5, 17. Let's go there real quick. Romans 5, 17. I feel like there's a golden menorah behind me in the spirit. I'm serious. The revelation, I'm getting these downloads. It's My brain is... Are my eyes red? First of all, Romans chapter six, uh, Romans chapter five, verse seventeen. Let me read this verse to you. You can put it up there if you have it ready. Thank you, Daniel. You're awesome. Listen, for by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Much more, those who received the abundance of grace say abundance of grace, and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. He says, those who receive will reign. Those who receive. Grace and righteousness will reign. One translation says reign like kings. The word abundant is a picture of the high priest coming in to make sacrifices. And the best sacrifices are abundantly being given into his arms. Like his arms are open. He's just receiving it. And there's more and there's more and there's more. Because his grace is abundantly overflowing from heaven. God's pouring out his spirit. You don't need to pray. God pour out your spirit. He already is. You just got to receive the outpouring. Big, big paradigm shift. Grace is raining down from heaven. Grace, the power to transform and enable me to walk in newness of life. Paul in Romans 7 begins to paint the picture of what it's like to live under the law. It's not a Christian life. That which I want to do, I don't. He does speak of the inner will and the outer will. You have an inner will and an outer will. Hold your breath. Your outer will will start breathing after about two minutes. The inner world, and that, got it? Okay. But Paul's not speaking of normal Christianity. He said, this is what it's like to live under the law. But here's what happens. Romans 8, verse 1. Let's start reading verse 8. I love this verse. This is going to set you free. Are you ready? I will break the religious spirit of condemnation over your mind once and for all, as if your heart is open for this right now. You ready? And this will change the way you evangelize too. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on and give God praise right there. Well, Pastor Zach, you didn't read the whole verse. Pastor Zach, read the whole verse in context. Hermeneutical study of the Word of God. Let's read the whole verse. Let's do that. What does the whole verse say in the New King James Version? Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's not in the original transcripts. That's only in King James and New King James. It is not in the Greek at all. New American Standard, by the way, is probably one of the closest translations we have to the original. Most theologians will teach you that. Most historians and scholars. So the condition the church at that time put on it is actually not even in the original. No, there's no condemnation, period. 
Now, there might be consequences if we choose to not be in relationship with God, even though we've been forgiven of our sin and we can walk in new covenant power. There'd be consequences, right? Is there consequences if I step out in the middle of the street? Been there, done that? Got a scar to show it? He's, he's told us many times. You walk away. You're, you, I mean, it, it, it happens. Stuff happens. We have a will, right? But it doesn't mean you're going to be condemned. And it doesn't mean we just do whatever we want to do. Because if we really understand grace, if we've really, the, well, the way Bill Johnson put it recently, he says, if you've actually seen the love that was displayed at the cross, you'd be an idiot to intentionally sin. I'm quoting Bill Johnson. Because if you understand the love of God and the grace of God, and knowing that there's no condemnation, it mobilizes us to walk in freedom and liberty. Then he goes on, and he says this. I love this uh, in Romans chapter 8. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit that dwells in you. Grace gives life. Grace does not kill. Grace gives life to you. Grace removes the I can't from your vocabulary and from your lifestyle. Grace empowers you to walk in liberty and freedom. Grace poured out on you abundantly will cause you to just hear one word from Jesus. And instead of making excuses how someone like this crippled man in John chapter 5 won't put you in the water when the angel stirs it, it's not a theological formula. It's the person of Jesus relying on what He said, relying on who He is. Grace is the very nature of Jesus. And here's what happens when we're born again. His seed, we're born again of the incorruptible seed. 1 Peter 1.23, in the core of our being, our heart, spirit, soul, and body, we begin to be transformed. And so, in essence, God gives us a new heart that's a heart of flesh, one He can mold. So when, when we receive grace, here's what we're receiving. Since grace comes through the revelation of Jesus, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, then when I, when I understand, when I'm receiving grace, here's what happens. I hear, I love you. You're my son. You're the, this is the most liberating thing for every believer, I'm telling you. You're the focus of my love. And here's what happens. He changes the rhythm of my heartbeat. Colette was sharing, well, I was teaching about something, and she was saying how premature babies with irregular heartbeats, what they will do, medical doctors will lay the baby on the father's chest, skin to skin, and it calms the baby. And it causes the heartbeat of that baby to begin to beat in sync with the same heartbeat of the fathers. The father says, Grace, I love you. See, the covenant we have in Christ is not a mutual, like a mutual covenant. It's a grant covenant. God just says, it's all yours. Here it is. You can't screw it up because <laughs> it's in Jesus. Your covenant's in Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he changes the rhythm of your heartbeat. Your desires change. My body becomes holy. Well, the body's sinful. Nope, my body's a temple of the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Actually, like David, my flesh longs for the presence of God. You ever been there? Like, I just got to get in the presence of God. My desires are good now. 
They're not all bad. The word of God's still dividing asunder in my being. He's cutting off the stuff. He's taking out the trash. Come on, somebody. Are you thankful he's taking out the trash? But the person who lives in the house is new. The old man got kicked out. Evicted. And if he comes knocking on the door, remind him that he's dead. I I mean, he can't knock on the door. He's dead, so forget it. But we try to dress him up, you know. He's still in the morgue, and we put makeup on him. He's dead. He's dead. And God isn't trying to kill you. He's trying to get you to walk in newness of life. When we understand that's the power of grace, grace is always available to you. I'm going to close with this thought. My, one, of my, um, one of my kids, one of my five children, praise the Lord, I feel so like such a man. I got a lawnmower. I got a wife. I got kids. Come on, somebody. Moving on up to the tongue. Okay. Sorry. I feel like a man when I say I got five kids. I've told you people try to borrow money from me. I got five kids. If he borrowed some from me, I got to feed my kids. It's my covenant, my kids, my family. That's most important. So one of my five, actually two of my five went to kids camp. David, who's 11, right? Is he 11? I, I lose track of their ages. Don't hate me. I got five. It's hard to remember. And they grow so fast. Hannah just turned seven. And Hannah, eight. Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> Hannah is daddy's girl. I told you the story when mom weaned her and she just turned her heart to papa. And she's been my girl ever since. And she's so affectionate. She'll sit in between uh, mom and dad on the bed and she'll kiss my hand. I love you, daddy. And then she'll grab mom's hand. I love you, mama. And she's just the sweetest little cuddle bug. All my children are like that because we're very affectionate. So Hannah is my, Hannah means favor. And her middle name is Grace. Now God showed me this one time because sometimes I will, I, I will, just want a hug from her because she just blesses me. Like my, your, your kids, those of you that have kids, your kids just bless you. Uh, just think how, just think how that is with uh, uh, you and the Lord too. Look, sounds like we got a thunderstorm warning going on. <laughs> how, how many of you, how many of you have children and your kids coming up and telling you that, that, oh, I love you, mama. I love, it just blesses you, right? So here's what I do. Hannah Grace, Grace, Grace. Her name literally is Favor Grace. I say, Hannah, I need some grace. And she just runs up and hugs me. She knows that I just want love from her. It's the exact same way with God's grace to your life. Anytime you need grace to overcome, to be free, you don't have to live in any type of bondage. Hello? Depression. God, I need your grace. It's available. Here it is. Sometimes... I will, I will zap any thought process of some old pattern of fear or insecurity or hurts. I'll zap it to its core by just hearing and understanding that I'm the focus of his love. I'm seated in heaven with Papa. And I hear him say, I'm proud of you. I love you. And it just transforms my heart. God, I need some grace. I say, Hannah, Hannah, I need some grace. She runs up and just hugs me, just runs up. It's the same way God's grace is so abundantly available to you. And it's not just mercy. It's supernatural ability for you to rise up, take your bed, and walk. 
the struggle will end. When we understand that we're wholly redeemed, and God just doesn't save part of us and save the rest for the second coming. You're actually saved. You're actually redeemed, spirit, soul, and body. God's sanctifying us, but the core of your being, you're new. And you're not to die to who you are. You might have some stuff you've got to die to. I mean, no, there's stuff that God's taken out, but not who you are. Understanding this will cause the church to rise up and mature in the Father's love. Where here, Here's what I want to say to you. There, there is a, I'm going to give you a quick testimony. There's a guy that's ministering now. I'm going to be connecting with a, um, a guy from Bethel who just got Bethel Church in Reading. He just got approved to have interns. So after two years of the school supernatural ministry, they can intern. And they actually, like, make disciples. People connect. You know, Kevin Dedman's one of them and um, many others. So I'm connecting with this guy, and he's coming to Vegas for a night. We connected. It was a total God connection. And he's, he's going to be meeting with this guy in Phoenix that is, he's ministering in other nations and all over, and he's literally watched hundreds, listen to this, hundreds of limbs grow out. Like, limbs grow out. That, that's powerful. A whole leper colony cleansed in 15 minutes. Now, check this out. I'm sure he has a revelation of God's healing power and grace to walk in this, right? And he's just a doorway to this. Every believer has the potential to mature in that authority. We should all walk in it, right? Jesus sent out his disciples, said, I'm sending you now. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Okay. Here, here's what's so powerful. So my friend asks this guy, what's your prayer times like? And maybe expecting, well, I pray about 10 hours a day. Praise God, right? How many of you pray 10 hours a day? Anybody in this room? You are lying. Lord knows you're lying. He's, here's what he says. I love this. I wasn't even going to share the secret, but I'm going to share it with you. He says, he says this. He says, well, I walk in the room, I close the door, and I go up and I sit in Papa's lap. And I just say, I know you love me. And I know there's stuff on your heart. So just tell me what's on your heart, God. And he just lets God love him. See, not only the the supernatural unfolding power of grace and the nature of who Jesus is transforms you, but then you become a doorway a window to release heaven in the earth. So powerful. And it's so simple. There's no theological formula. It comes in the person of Jesus clinging on his words. Papa, what's on your heart? I just want to hear your voice. Isn't that powerful? Amen. Amen. Come on, just give God a shout of praise. I'm going to dismiss you. Can we pray? Father, I believe in your saints. I believe that you believe in them, that you look at them and say, I've made you in my image. I put my spirit within you. I believe, God, in, the, in not only this saving, redeeming grace, but the empowering grace that comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. Resurrection power. I believe that you've redeemed us wholly. And I'm looking at a people. I'm looking at leaders. I'm looking at... Uh, saints, in this assembly, God, in Henderson, 
the Encounter Community Church. And I call you forth in your destiny. And I say, rise up. Take dominion. If there's something that is determined where you go, take up that thing and you have dominion over it and let you determine where it goes. And Father, I pray right now that they would open their hearts to this unfolding, amazing, everlasting love that you have for them. Receive God's grace. Would you lift up both hands and just say, Lord, I receive your grace. I receive your grace. Say this, say, I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I'm a saint transformed by grace. Doesn't that feel good? Say, I'm not a servant. I will serve God, but I'm a son. I'm not referring to gender. You're a child of God. Say, I'm a child of God. I have access to Papa. And he actually loves who I am in all of the mess. God, you love us. And you value us. Even before the blood of Jesus was shed, you found value in us. I heard somebody say, I'm only worthy because you're blood. If that's true, then he would have never shed his blood. Jesus even valued little babies before he shed his blood. He even said that babies have an angel that beholds the face of God. That that babies have some kind of divine connection to God that goes against some things that I've heard taught. Goes against the, but Jesus said it. Jesus said it. Lord, we believe your word. We have value. That you have every hair in our head numbered. You love us. You love us. Hold us close. You're changing the rhythm of our heartbeat. I bless your people right now. I bless your people. I declare grace. I declare grace. I believe the Lord wants to just, he literally wants to come and just touch you and say, rise up, take your bed and walk. Rise up. Each one of you, I see, it's like God's hands going around. And he's saying, rise up. He's touching your shoulder. He's touching your head. He's touching you saying, rise up. Take your, he's touching your heart. He's walking around and touching those that have opened those that have open hearts. He's literally just going, whoa, rise up, take your bed and walk. Rise up, take your bed and walk. Whoa, did you feel that? Father, we just receive it. I want, I want those of you, as we close, I'm going to dismiss you. Those of you that just want prayer, and we're going to make our team available and myself to pray over you. Would you, perfect. Would you just open, uh, I'm going to open the altars. Just come if you need prayer. If, if you feel like, you know what, I'm ready to rise up. I'm ready to rise up. Come quickly to the front, please. Please don't hesitate. There's probably about 15 of you at least. Come quickly, please. And just if you want to kneel, yeah, turn that up. Kneel down here, stand up here, whatever you want. Just come. Just soak in his love. And uh, John, I want you, will you come and pray for people with me? I would really appreciate that. And, and Chris, if you want to, Carly, that's our community leaders that are here, just come. Prayer team, Sozo team. Just lift your hands and just receive his love. Turn that a little bit more. There we go. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Wow. 
He actually delights in you. So, Lord, as your people come, for those that are dismissed, I bless them. I thank you for new life, blessings over them, transforming grace available to them every day, every moment, every second. I bless you in Jesus' name. We're going to minister to those that are up front. So if there's more, come. And if you're leaving, please stay in attitude of prayer in the sanctuary and love someone before you go. God bless you. Help me just